Good evening, folks, and welcome back on this Saturday, the 10th day of June, 2022. I'm your host, Mark Call, and I guess I'll start off this evening this way. If you're not mad by now, it simply means you're either not paying attention or you're part of the problem. In which case, I seriously doubt you'd be listening to this network or this show anyway. That is, unless you already know you're serving the enemy. So let's spend the next 50 minutes or so talking about the alternatives and what that means. And I guess on that note, I'd better start off this evening with a sequence of stories that helps make that clear. We'll call it the America Under Judgment update. And uh, this seems like a good way to begin, courtesy of Paul Joseph Watson and Summit News. And he's got the full rainbow-colored graphic. The U.S. Air Force has received backlash. There's a shocker, but it may be the only good news in this. The Air Force has received backlash, he says, after tweeting out an image showing a soldier saluting, no, not an American flag, we don't give a damn about that anymore, instead an LGBTQ plus flag to celebrate June as Pride Month. The image shows a silhouetted individual throwing up a salute, along with the multicolored rainbow flag of perversion writ large, and the Air Force seal. The graphic sure makes it look like he, she, she, it, they are saluting the pride flag. While the gender of the individual isn't clear, says Watson, it's clearly a depiction of a uniformed service member. And the caption reads, June is hashtag pride month, exclamation point. The Department of the Air Force proudly recognizes and celebrates generations of LGBTQ plus service members and their contributions and their perversions, it would seem, when it comes to the Air Force and Space Force, unquote, and the Air Force Global Strike Command, that wasn't good enough for them, I guess. They responded to that tweet and wrote, in addition, quote, our diversity is our competitive advantage, unquote. And I guess you could add, yeah, screw the defense of the United States, your borders, your family's welfare, and everything that this nation and its great armed services once stood for, once even risked their lives to protect and defend for over two centuries. We're throwing all of that on the trash heap of history and inviting the judgment that is so richly deserved. And if it seems like your host is a bit PO'd at that, folks, you're right. But I guess I'm not alone, because as Watson points out, a whole lot of folks were not impressed with the new perverted Air Force. Like, quote, why is the service member saluting the alphabet cult flag, wrote one. What an embarrassment, said another. And another, perhaps more appropriately pointed out, it is illegal for a uniformed service member to salute anything but the American flag. And somebody added, this cult is actively disgracing our military. Well, no, the military seems to have done that on their own. And replacing the American flag, just like, uh, well, they already believe that we are what they want us to be, a conquered people. Another one wrote the following, and this is probably quite apropos, folks. My father served 25 years in the United States Air Force and retired as a colonel. He's rolling over in his grave at Fort Sam Houston National Cemetery. This wouldn't have happened on his watch. Well, it certainly happened under the Biden Fuhrer, Marxist Millie, and Lloyd Austin. Here's what I guess I'll call a related item via DailyFetch.com and Jason Walsh. Joe Biden, you know, the fake president, is set to host what's being called the White House's largest pride celebration in history. While Americans struggle to pay for groceries and mortgage payments, not to mention energy, as Bidenflation continues to soar. And yes, literally tons of artillery rounds and other defense munitions that uh, aren't going to be used to defend the southern border, along with billions upon billions of newly printed fake bucks. 
are being sent to Ukraine instead. But now there are reports that lots and lots of mothballed airplanes that were once put aside for the defense of the United States against a real enemy are instead being taken out of mothballs at tremendous cost to the American ahem, taxpayer, or at least in terms of newly printed fiat bucks, at Davis Mountain Air Force Base in Tucson and being shipped to, you can guess, can't you, the same place, the hellhole and the front lines of World War III in Ukraine. But some of them are going to the other front lines real soon now in the Philippines, say sources of people like John Moore. But back to this abomination. In an announcement, the Biden Cure and the White Whorehouse said that the LGBTQ plus pride celebration being hosted by the fake commander-in-chief will be the largest of its kind in history. And you know what, folks? I can't help but think that if they really get their way, it may very well be the last such as well. And he's also set to announce new measures aimed at pushing perversion or uh, transgenderism and other progressive anti-scriptural ideology. Reuters reported that Thursday's event is being billed as a celebration of, quote, LGBTQ plus families. And we'll see performances from people you've never heard of, like singer Betty Who and DJ Queen HD. Breitbart added that the event will also focus on what are being called by the White Whorehouse book bans implemented in parts of the United States, parts of the country where perversion doesn't trump anything else. While the Biden Fuhrer's Department of Negative Education is also going to announce the employment of a new special coordinator who will be tasked with tackling the perceived problem. And you know what that means, don't you? They'll tackle it with the equivalent of tactical nukes. <laughs> as they continue with the real book burning, disinformation throttling, and uh, destruction of what's left of the First Amendment. Said one Biden regime spokeslayer referring to the announcement, quote, across the country, our nation is facing a spike in book bans. <laughs> they could care less, folks, about the spike in complete shutdown of actual alternatives to the official narrative. And, said the quote, these efforts disproportionately target the LGBTQI plus community as well as communities of color. Well, unless the color is white, in which case you are dead meat. Back to the quote, these aren't just attacks on the rights of LGBTQI plus Americans. They're part and parcel of a coordinated attack on, say it with me, folks, our democracy, as opposed to the republic that the Constitution once guaranteed to every uh, once free state. Obviously, whether we figured it out yet or not, the eventual book bans include other things like the Constitution and Declaration of Independence. And in case you don't know what the liars are talking about here, the so-called bans, says the author helpfully, have become a major weapon for anti-scriptural, anti-constitutional progressives, both in the United States and in other parts of the Greater Babylon metro area, to combat things like scripture and parental authority. And some of them have even figured out what's going on and have tried to fight back. With the result that in at least a few cases, local school boards and even some states have decided to pull certain perversions from the children's sections of bookstores and school libraries. And so the oh-so-tolerant left calls that a hate crime and book burnings. However, campaigners claim that the books often contain extremely graphic content, anti-scriptural imagery, and other things that some parents, those who are being sidelined, demonized, and soon sent off to the gulags, may find unsuitable for their children, with the books themselves often remaining available in different parts of the library, in spite allegedly having been banned. 
One protester summarized what's going on this way. The age bracket they're aiming at that is wrong. They're putting him into libraries. They're not telling the parents. I have five children, said this fellow. I want my children to grow up and read the right textbooks in school, he added, claiming that topics like blowjobs and anal fisting just shouldn't be present in such books. Remember, though, the books that are really being banned include titles like uh, The Bible. Here next, at least a couple of comments, a bit late to the party, perhaps, but still worth hearing about, from Ben Shapiro. The heart of pride, he writes for World Net Daily, is revolution and not equality. June 1, it begins, marks the advent of Pride Month, the most important sacrament of the American, he says, secular religious calendar. I'm going to say uh, pagan satanic religious calendar. But still, during Pride Month, he continues, public cesspools across the nation And he didn't spell that right, but I'll pronounce it correctly. Teach small children the joys of anti-scriptural sexual practices and orientations that the Bible calls abomination. And yes, folks, I'm modifying the text just a bit here. Corporations plaster their stores with abominations, rainbow accoutrements of all sorts, and the replacement for the actual constitutional government, now masquerading as the FedGov of the United States, proudly proclaims its fidelity to anything other than biblical morality and ideology, especially if it's called LGBTQIA++, and that now means bestiality and other perversions too, ideology, while the American public, for the most part, has historically been sold the bill of goods that Pride Month is not really what it seems to be, but instead is a call for tolerance of the marginalized. It's a call for tolerance of those things that the Bible says carry a death penalty, folks. And yes, this party gets right. Pride Month isn't a call for equality, but instead a call for revolution. And I think it's clear as to what and who that revolution is against. From there, let's move on to one of the other obvious judgment fronts, World War III. This piece comes from the Hal Turner Radio Show, and it says, The biggest war battle on European soil since World War II is actually in progress, happening right now, although not a peep, for the most part, from the waystream media. The largest warfighting battle it begins on European soil since World War II, yes, is raging now, today, June 8th, 2023, not a peep from the West's so-called waystream media. And according to battlefield sources, the first attack by Ukraine on Zaporizhzhia has been almost repulsed. A lot of Ukrainian soldiers are lying dead in the minefields, simply driven forward by their commanders. And remember, folks, the deep state swamp critters have announced that their intention is to pursue this battle to the very last Ukrainian and anybody else that's willing to die for something other than their country. Anyway, back to the story. They were simply driven forward by their commanders without properly preparing the passages. The picture is terrible, they say. The enemy has a whole lot of dead or seriously wounded just lying on the battlefield, and it's likely Ukraine will regroup and then drive a few more waves to the inevitable slaughter, while the Russians say, our boys are ready and charged. And one of them added, we're not sleeping, we're waiting. So far, says the summary, from June 4th through the 8th, Ukraine has lost close to 400, mostly American paid for, armored vehicles, 115 tanks, and close to 5,000 personnel. In Zaporizhia, Artemovsk, i.e. Bakhmut, and southwest Donetsk tactical regions. And while the intensity of enemy attacks have decreased, a whole army in the reserve is now waiting to attack, and this won't be the end. So far, no settlements have been lost, although a number have changed hands, but are evidently now back under the control of Russian armed forces. And says this summary, at least, although sources like this say other stories are uh, being purged courtesy of the FBI in Ukraine, isn't that amazing, and the Ukrainian secret police. 
But not even the first line of Russian defense has yet been breached, even though there are five total lines of defense. Battles are raging and people are dying like flies. And I'll skip over some of the rest of the battlefield details, but the summary says, given the intent of those pushing this thing to the inevitable conclusion, and the fact that the American generally dumb public is, in general, also downright clueless, they'll be blindsided at the escalation of this war. They'll be afraid, very afraid, just like they've been programmed to be. And they'll, of course, look to Big Brother for safety and answers, the same government that lied to them for two and a half years over Trump and Russia, Russia, Russia collusion, the same government that lied to them about the Fauci flu and the two-part bioweapon that included the Zyklon B injections and their boosters ad nauseum. In other words, the same Big Brother government that lied about the not-vaccines and that are still continuing to kill the people who took them and keep taking them. Well, you get the picture. Yeah, they're lying about this, too. Concludes Hal Turner and his radio show. The next two weeks could very well see the outbreak of actual open nuclear world war and a change to all of our lives that, uh, yep, when that happens, we'll never be the same again. All right, let's go next to the kind of story I don't really do all that often, although I have for a long time believed inevitably we're going to see this. And the way this story is getting pushed probably means that time draws closer. Because, uh, well, it's been a long time coming. The PSYOP is almost complete. And uh, at the point where it's necessary to roll it out, we'll see that. So call this another indicator. Jumping right in, says a piece from Zero Hedge entitled, We Are Not Alone. The U.S. has retrieved craft of non-human origin, says another whistleblower from a government task force on UFOs. How many times have we seen this over the years? I've got Philip Corso's book on my shelf that was published over a quarter century ago now. Anyway, that former intelligence official official-turned-whistleblower has given Congress and the so-called Intelligence Community Inspector General extensive classified information about deeply covert programs that he says possess retrieved intact and partially intact craft of non-human origin. The whistleblower is 36-year-old David Charles Grush, a decorated former combat officer in Afghanistan who went on to work at the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, or NGA, and the NRO, or National Reconnaissance office, where he served as the latter's representative to the Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon Task Force from 2019 through 2021. Then from late 2021 until January of 2022, he was the NGA's co-head for UAP analysis and his representative to the task force, which was established to investigate UFOs, now officially labeled, of course, UAPs, or Unidentified Anomalous Phenomenon. But wait, now they've even gone further. There's something called the All-Domain Anomaly Resolution. Resolution Office, which includes investigations of UAPs that even operate underwater. Grush says the story, a whistleblower now represented by an attorney who was once the original intelligence community inspector general, spoke with journalist Leslie Keene, who co-authored a 2017 report in the New York Times revealing the DOD spent $22.5 million bucks on a secret program to investigate UFOs, along with Ralph Blumenthal, a veteran New York Times reporter. Hey, <laughs> what's the doubt here? And according to the debrief, Big Brother's minions have recovered partial fragments up through fully intact vehicles for decades. Quote, we're not talking about prosaic origins or identities, said Grush. The material includes intact and partially intact vehicles. They're of exotic, non-human, extraterrestrial, or unknown origin. And what the whistleblower called UFO legacy programs have been long concealed within, quote, multiple agencies nesting UAP activities in conventional secret access programs without appropriate reporting to various oversight authorities. 
Bottom line, he said, we are not alone. So when are they going to spring the trap already? Here's another story from a whole different aspect of the war on truth that your host can't help but think really does clarify things on this early June date. Collusion. And the cop that's been caught red-handed, says the piece from the Gateway Pundit via Kara Castro-Novova. And this time the criminal was caught lying on the stand. Stunning partial victory, it says, in the January 6th trial with a video that shows, nope, it wasn't the story they were pushing. In fact, it was the D.C. cops who cut the tarps on certain bleachers and not the protesters that have been accused of the crime. Goes like this. With a byline from Mel Hawley as well. Last Thursday in the D.C. District Swamp, the so-called jury for the January 6th trial in the case of USA v. K. Joseph Thomas produced a stunning verdict bringing the government's official narrative to its knees. The testimony of crooked prosecution witness MPD officer Campanale was shattered by the defense team as his accusations against the defendant proved with the government's own evidentiary video that he accused Thomas of crimes he, in fact, had committed himself. you got to listen to this carefully. Campanale and other officers of the MPD had cut the tarps on the bleachers before any protesters were even under those bleachers. In spite of this, though, the government has blamed protesters for that damage, even though there's exculpatory evidence that they have of Metro police officers cutting the tarp down themselves with knives. Defense attorney Roger Roots put it this way, quote, certainly those major cuts on the top of the tarp were done by members of the Metro Police Department, including Campanelli. In fact, even in the Proud Boys trial, says the attorney, I sat there as the government presented evidence of all this damage, including the torn tarp as part of the damage they let the jury believe had been done either by the Proud Boys or supporters of the Proud Boys, unquote. And the story notes that before jury selection even began in mid-May, Judge Dabney Friedrich specified that the trial should be wrapped up by that week's end. But her demeanor changed during the nearly three weeks of grueling jury selection. <laughs> you got to pick the right people if you want the right verdict, you know. Enlightening testimony and cross-examination of so-called police officers followed by lingering deliberations. Of Thomas's 12 federal charges, he was found guilty of seven, with two dismissed due to a hung jury. But the three not guilty judgments proved beyond a reasonable doubt that Joseph Thomas did indeed attend as a peaceful protester who in fact defended others, as he has publicly avowed, for the past two years. And to say the least, the testimonies, sick, of law enforcement officers and the lead federal agent on this so-called case were not compelling. Officer Campanale was caught lying on the stand, but guess what, folks? You know it. There will be no consequences for perjury committed by Blue. But questions remain, said Tina Ryan of Citizens Against Political Persecution. Quote, did Officer Campanale collude with the Department of Justice? Who was he taking orders from on January 6th to destroy the tarp? Who told him to lie on the stand and blame it on the defendant, Joseph Thomas? Will there be consequences? Hey, this one will know the answer to for Campanale. And get this, folks, the five charges that Thomas was hit with included police assault. And you know what that means now, don't you, in a police state? If one of your betters in blue swings a baton right at your face and you put your hands up to deflect it, yeah, that's police assault in FBI-run Big Brothers America. How dare you? And these so-called trials show you exactly what people who still think they have constitutionally protected rights deserve and are going to get good and hard. 
And the story goes on to note, as has been the case in most of these January 6th so-called courtrooms, the discovery on the part of the government included hundreds of hours of police body cam footage. When the defense motioned to allow new exculpatory footage as evidence, the government opposed, and the dishonorable judge denied those motions. The same exercise ensued for motions to allow witnesses. And in the end, only two witnesses were allowed to appear for the defense, for the so-called defense. With their hands tied, the defense team had to rely instead heavily on cross-examination, the defendant's testimony, and evidence provided by the government to argue their case. And in the end, five officers and the FBI case agent took the stand for the prosecution. During the testimony of MPD officer Campanelli, the government introduced video evidence to the courtroom showing interaction between the so-called officers and the defendant near those bleachers wrapped in white tarp at the Capitol. The prosecution pointed to a knife in Thomas's hand as he stood under the bleachers. And in an interview, attorney Roger Roots commented on the testimony and the explosive cross-examination, saying, among other things, Joe Thomas was innocent of having a knife. There was a time when another protester handed him a knife and said, why don't you cut the zip ties, ties that were holding the tarp to the bleachers, and there was a moment in time when Joe took the knife. But the irony is that once Joe took the knife and was thinking about it, Campanelli saw the knife in his hand for a brief moment and said something like, no, no, don't cut any zip ties. So Joe Thomas handed the knife back to a fellow protester, and he says he thinks it was all a setup of some kind. He doesn't really know. We still don't know the identity of the man that handed him the knife. Well, folks, we may not know the identity, but we might be able to guess who he worked for one way or another. Continued the attorney, Campanelli took the stand and he testified that he could have arrested Joe Thomas. The prosecutor asked specifically, why is that? And he responded, for cutting the tarp. This was very startling and very damaging to Thomas at the time, because I can tell you, he said, the defense was not ready for this. But fortunately... Emily Lambert had a great deal of knowledge of the body cam footage. She scrambled immediately at the defense table while Campanelli was still on the stand. And fortunately, we were able to find exactly what was needed. And Emily Lambert, the paralegal for our team, just happened to have seen that particular footage. So she knew it was there. Otherwise, we would have never been able to cross-examine like we did. So, continued the defense attorney, when I got up across examined Campanelli, I started out by saying, well, you didn't see Mr. Thomas cut the tarp, did you? He admitted he did not. And I said, how could you have arrested him without probable cause then to arrest? And he sort of wavered, as I recall, and finally admitted, well, I guess I could not have arrested him without probable cause. Then, said the attorney, I brought up body cam footage from another officer, and the government objected. And by the way, he added very vehemently, but it did, in fact, show the incident. It did show Campanelli, and so the judge ruled that it was relevant. And we started rolling it, and Campanelli quickly admitted that he, in fact, was in the image. He was on the body cam footage cutting the tarp himself. And so it didn't go much further than that. But it was fairly startling, said the attorney, the way it came out later with another witness on the stand named Stephen Hill. We got in a bit more footage which showed the other officers had cut the entire tarp, probably over a 100 feet of tarp that they cut at the top of the West Terrace. And, you know, prior to this trial, they have been blaming that on the January 6th protesters. Let's put it this way, said the attorney. It was a fluke of fortune that we happened to have a paralegal on our staff that had seen the body cam footage from another officer. If we hadn't had that, we wouldn't have been able, like so many other defense teams, we would not have been able to even rebut that. It would have gone without rebuttal, and the jury would have taken away that Mr. Thomas had probably cut the tarp instead of the people that actually did it. And guess what, folks? Even though it's taken a long time, and even though the circus trials continue, 
And yeah, if you throw enough you-know-what-at-the-wall, some of it may stick. That's what defendants are finding out here. That's why they're being charged with so many different kinds of crimes by the almighty state. Well, even in spite of that, ultimately, the truth is finally slowly oozing out. Said defendant Joe Thomas himself, post-verdict, quote, I came into this court battle relying on my faith in God for strength. After much diligent prayer, I witnessed the atmosphere in the courtroom change from hostile to hopeful. In the end, justice prevailed, well, folks, at least in part, but I think he's making the right point here. And my defense team has shown that the government's narrative that every J6 who went to the Capitol as violent extremists bent on interrupting election proceedings was patently false. This, he said, was the best foreseeable outcome. The assault charges are now realized as the lesser elements of impeding, obstructing, and interfering with certain officers. I look forward, said Thomas, to when this can all be behind us and the truth of that day is revealed. Who knows how many defendants have been railroaded by the shady dealings of prosecutors. And he goes on to say that he gives an enormous amount of credit to his amazing legal team. However, all the glory goes to God for the victory. We also always hand it work throughout this entire process, and this is only the beginning, unquote. And we'll be right back. Did you write the book of love, and do you have faith in God above, if the Bible tells you so? Welcome back now to the second segment for this evening. This is again your host, Markoff, and I think we need to start this one off with a bit more on the rule of law, or more appropriately, the lack thereof nowadays. Here's an interview that, disgusting as it might be, has to be referred to as the Hormeister, at least the former Hormeister for the Federal Bureau of Instigation, speaking to the spokes whore for one of the most illegitimate, well, arguably the most illegitimate regime in once free American history. And since this is just about the only thing in this abomination that's true, let's let her introduce it. This is Jen Pisaki. And remember, the P is supposed to be silent, just like it is in P-Resident. Talking about, and to the guy who should be behind bars, if we still had a rule of law, James Comey, she said this. I sat down with him for a conversation at his home this week to discuss the legal peril surrounding the former president. Yeah, one of the questions that you know isn't going to be asked, what happens to us if the good guys that actually understand the rule of law ever are allowed back in power? But even more obvious, perhaps, because the Daily Mail was able to get around to asking it, why didn't they even get around to mentioning John Durham's report? (laughs) As if we didn't know. And in an interview that should be right up there with, say, a Dr. Joseph Mengele talking about advancing science by experimenting on twins, a Jeffrey Epstein justifying pedophilia, or a James Comey advocating putting a vegetable in the Oval Office. Oops, wait a minute, that's what he's doing. This may be the most disgusting exchange. Can you envision a scenario where Trump manages to win back the White House and justice is delayed? I could. I don't, I don't want to, but I could. I mean, it's this crazy world that Donald Trump has dragged this country into, but he could be wearing an ankle bracelet while accepting the nomination at the Republican convention. And could be wearing an ankle bracelet and be elected. 
in November. Yeah, we could have. It would be rejected if you put it in a script for a show, but you could have a president who is potentially incarcerated when he's elected president. But wait a minute. We could have one who wasn't elected but was put in office anyway, in spite of the fact that he's obviously senile. So that would be weird and awkward. And it seems even crazy to be coming out of my mouth, but that's the situation we face. It looks like the Republicans... And listen to this next part carefully. I think I'm going to have to replay it. Will likely nominate someone who is under serious criminal investigation, is indicted. Did you catch the Freudian slip in there? He almost said, probably thinking about the Socialist Democrats, that they nominated somebody who was under serious credibility problems. Listen carefully this time. Will likely nominate someone who is under serious criminal investigation, is indicted. Well, yeah, our guy should have been indicted. Obviously, is guilty of all kinds of things, and <laughs> we managed to get away with it. Now, didn't we, Jen? You betcha. Talk about credibility problems. Now, here's just one of the, uh, well, let's just say, revealing and even Clintonista-type comments in this piece of unabashed propaganda. Imagine people who have literally made their bones destroying the rule of law and overturning what's left of the Constitution Republic saying this about anybody that would stand in their way. Even a man who actually caved into them once before. Trump comes for the rule of law, the system of justice, and the agencies with a flamethrower. He will come and try to criticize and attack your family, your witnesses, there are no limits to what he will try to do to obstruct an effort to hold him accountable. Just like there are no limits to what we're willing to do to destroy any attempt to hold us accountable and especially continue the destruction of the rule of law. Hey, it's almost dead now anyway. We're going to put a final wooden stake in it. And if people will let them get away with crap like this, folks, they've already done it. You know what it's like to lead uh, politically sensitive investigations around a campaign. Remember, she's not going to say it, I will. This is the guy who gave Hitler a pass right before the election for treason. Wouldn't it be awful, she said, if he was the nominee again? Well, but at least it would be funny. We could maybe have him brought before the American people in handcuffs or an ankle bracelet. Ha, ha, ha. We'll show them who's boss. But sometimes when it comes to calling good evil and evil good and then chortling about how successful they were at getting away with it, well, you've just got to let them step in it. Listen to this. You said that Trump poses a near existential threat to the rule of law. And I got to ask it. Can you believe MSNBC is actually paying her for this crap? And even more amazingly, there are probably people out there that believe it. And, and this is something similar language that I hear privately from national security officials, some people you and I both know. Oh, yeah, we know them, too. Those 51 criminals masquerading as intelligence officials who signed that bogus letter that we used to hide Hunter Biden's laptop right before the election. Who will say this privately about what a second term could mean. Yeah, if we ever had a return to a rule of law, they'd hang every single blankety blank in one of us. But tell me a little bit about the specifics of what he could try to do. What do you mean by that? And before I let Comey describe it, let me just suggest, folks, that if there ever was a Trump commercial that people ought to see, he's laying it out here. Even if history demonstrates, none of them would ever actually have the guts to do this. Well, think about what four years of a retribution presidency might look like. <laughs> oh, be still my heart. He could order the investigation and prosecution of individuals who he sees as enemies. I'm sure I'm on the enemies list. 
course you are. And you know well why, too. And so does America. Because the president constitutionally does oversee the executive branch entirely, which includes the Department of Justice, prosecutors and investigators. And so he could commission direct that individuals be pursued. He could also direct all kinds of other conduct that people would maybe take to court to try to stop. Ah, you cursed rat! Look what you've done! I'm melting! Melting! Oh, what a world! What a world! Who would have thought a good little girl like you could destroy my beautiful wickedness? Ah, the moon! The moon! I'm going! But who enforces court orders? Mm-hmm. Mostly the United States Marshals Service, which is in part of the executive branch and reports to the president. And so President Trump could say, I don't care what the Supreme Court says or these district judges say. I'm telling the Marshals Service, don't enforce the court order. Just like we've been saying, don't enforce court orders we don't like, whether it's abortion or putting real criminals behind bars or prosecuting traitors for treason. Why, imagine the horror they could do to us what we did to Trump supporters who came to Washington to protest the stolen election. Why, they could throw us in the gulag. And so our Constitution really does give a rogue president, which is what this would be. Which is what we've got now, even if he's senile. Tremendous power to destroy. And so that's why I'm trying to warn people. Given the way he said he intends to operate if he's reelected, this will be something we could never have imagined. To have come so far and pretty much gotten away with it and destroyed what's left of the rule of law and along with it brought down an entire country and we're killing tens if not hundreds of millions to boot. Oh, the horror if we don't finish the job. I spent a lot of time on that, folks. And yes, I made quite a few edits, but we need to. Because this, the thing that they have accomplished, is exactly what they're oh so worried might be turned around if the American people but wake up and realize they have almost finished the execution. So ironically, and I guess in contrast, that leads me to a couple of stories about the presidential candidacy of Robert F. Kennedy Jr., Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who uh, certainly is not necessarily your host cup of tea. Obviously, there are a lot of things we would have very sincere disagreements about. But I admire the man's candor and his ability to uh, see through at least some of the BS and speak his mind. He's certainly been a lone voice when it comes to pointing out the, uh, well, genocide associated with the Zyklon B injections. But RFK Jr. and his Children's Health Defense Fund have been ahead of the curve on the vaccination issue for a long, long time. The Daily Mail has a piece where he even weighed in on the open border with Mexico and blasted the Biden Fuhrer for the idiocy of the invasion. Here's how they put it. Democrat presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has accused Joe Biden of presiding over an open border with Mexico and allowing thousands, well, how about hundreds of thousands, millions even, of migrants to illegally break into the U.S. The 69-year-old presidential candidate called the situation unsustainable, claiming that asylum seekers are allowed to roam freely shortly after sneaking across the border. Speaking on social media, RFK Jr. said illegal aliens are flocking to the U.S. because there is an understanding, quote, across the globe that we now have an open border. There are people being drawn here, said the Kennedy scion. This is not a good thing for our country. 
In an interview he gave during a trip to Yuma, Arizona, Kennedy said his visit to the border had exposed a dystopian nightmare. He also met with local farmers in the border community who've been impacted by the surge in invaders and said Yuma County provides 90% of the green leafy vegetables like iceberg lettuce, arugula, spinach, and broccoli to American tables between November and April. And the tsunami of migrants walking across farm fields and defecating in irrigation canals threatens the safety of that food supply. Last year, he continued, one of their neighbors had to plow under 88 acres of broccoli and personally absorb the $10,000 per acre cost after migrants tainted irrigation water. And in spite of the slant of the leftist article that basically he can't win, even though he's pro-choice, and even though he's pandering to uh, right-wingers by promising to close the border if he becomes president, well, they say party apparatchiks rallying around Joe Biden will probably be able to prevent a proper primary challenge. Still, though, Kennedy has portrayed himself as the only viable left-of-center alternative to the aging and gaffed-prone, they left out the word senile, along with fake, commander-in-chief. But at least this part comes close to the truth. Since the campaign launched in Boston back on April 19th, Robert F. Kennedy's been trying to tap into Democrat voter malaise over the lack of an alternative to the increasingly fragile Joe Biden. And the word they clearly left out there was incompetent. Kennedy also did another interview with Elon Musk via Twitter. This one seems to have made a few waves, even though for the most part, the waste stream is trying to ignore the guy. But as usual, they start with demonizing and labeling. Yesterday begins a piece by Michael Schellenberger and Leighton Woodhouse on their public substack, also via Zero Hedge. The Democrat presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. appeared in a Twitter Spaces panel co-hosted by not only Elon Musk, but also Tulsi Gabbard and venture capitalist David Sachs. The man spoke for over two hours on a range of issues, including the war in Ukraine, energy policy, gun control. He's for it, by the way. Even if he thinks correctly that the way the Biden regime is going about it is not only counterproductive, but intended to spark a civil war. And the origins of the SARS-CoV-2, Fauci flu, and subsequent bioweapons. And Kennedy deplored the corporate takeover of the Democratic Party, excoriated Biden's pro-war instincts, and decried the domination of U.S. foreign policy by what he called neocons. Oh yeah, and he promoted so-called renewable energy as well. So the guy does have at least a few really big blind spots. Not that there's a problem with renewable energy, folks. It's just that most of what the leftist nutcases are pushing isn't even remotely renewable. Yet, though, according to the New York Times and CNN, it was an orgy of right-wing conspiracy theorizing. Here's how the toilet paper of record put it. Robert F. Kennedy Jr., a scion of one of the country's most famous Democratic families, they wrote, dived into the full embrace of a host of conservative figures who eagerly promoted his long-shot primary challenge to, uh, yeah, you know who, the Biden Fuhrer. On Monday, they said, he sounded like a candidate far more at ease in the mushrooming Republican presidential contest. Well, and that's a bald-faced lie, folks. Almost all of the new ones are nothing but Big Brother deep state shills. Which kind of makes the author's point, because, well, says Schellenberger, in a pre-Trump America, Kennedy, an anti-war, pro-free speech, environmentalist, and fierce critic of corporate power, would have been universally regarded as a far-left candidate in the mold of Ralph Nader or his current campaign manager, Dennis Kucinich. He once called for the Koch brothers to be criminally prosecuted. 
Kennedy believes that the war in Ukraine is being fueled by, quote, the neocons in the White House who want, quote, regime change with the Russians. And in his campaign announcement speech, he described his mission as ending, and I like this term, the corrupt merger of state and corporate power that is threatening to impose a new kind of corporate feudalism in our country, unquote. And the other word, folks, is, in fact, fascism. But a dizzying political realignment has now scrambled, says the author, all of the traditional categories and left in its wake just two sides, not left and right anymore, but insider and outsider. And no matter the substance of one's beliefs, at least to the media, outsider means by default right wing conspiracy theorists and can't argue with that. And in yesterday's conversation, the shift was lost on nobody, including Kennedy. Quote, the Democrats slowly became pro-corporate, pro-war, and pro-censorship, he said, and Republicans became anti-censorship, pro-civil liberties, and anti-war. There's been this tremendous realignment. And one thing was clear, his rising profile has ignited a media backlash that, uh, says the author, and I can't help but agree, seemed pretty much orchestrated. His, quote, crackpot claims and outlandish views have won him favor from the right, said Vanity Fair. The Business Insider called the conversation on Twitter, quote, a bizarre Twitter spaces conversation littered with falsehoods and conspiracy theories. And they dismissed Kennedy's, quote, odd and occasionally incoherent policy positions. The Rolling Stone sneered at his outlandish and pseudo-scientific ideas and labeled him a French candidate while Esquire called him a raving anti-vaxxer and lambasted the very idea of somebody daring to challenge the senile Biden Fuhrer in the primary. You know what? It all sounds like the outright communists are petrified of the idea of a real Democrat running against their senile CCP puppet. And just listen to the WAPO and how Michael Shearer put it. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. tests the conspiratorial appetite of Democrats, he said, and campaigns on the idea that powerful people have been working in secret to deceive you. Unquote. And who could imagine somebody would actually come right out and tell them the truth? Says the author, the WAPO may believe the public's distrust of the elite is nothing more than a conspiracy theory. But if the last few years have taught us anything, it's that powerful people have, in fact, been doing exactly that, working in secret to deceive us. Consider, he says, how many conspiracy theories that Kennedy has pointed out have turned out to be true. Documents leaked by former NSA contractor Edward Snowden showed the U.S. government was indeed spying on millions, well, how about all Americans, without needing a warrant, without their knowledge, and that such claims of widespread surveillance were neither paranoid nor conspiracy theories. And Obama's director of national intelligence famously lied to Congress about surveillance before Ed Snowden revealed the truth. Number two, Jeffrey Epstein may have been running a honeypot blackmail operation with full knowledge of the CIA, whose director frequently visited him, according to private emails. Number three, the evidence today is overwhelming that uh, Joe Biden's son and his brother sold access to the VP for all kinds of money as long as a big guy got his cut. And that included not only the Communist Chinese Party, but lots of connections to military intelligence. Number four, the Biden regime and media elites have aggressively pushed for bans and restrictions on natural gas stoves, while claiming that those who dared to point out what they were doing were spreading conspiracy theories. Number five, the U.S. really did manage biolabs in Ukraine, despite propaganda from NPR and the widespread dismissal of anything remotely approaching the truth from the 
criminally negligent networks. Number six, the Pentagon did indeed cover up evidence of UFOs for decades. And number seven, emails show that the former director of the NIAID, the infamous Dr. Mengele of America, Tony Fauci, and NIH director Francis Collins conspired to spread the lie that the COVID lab leak, which they claim was a conspiracy theory, was not in fact what it turned out to be, at minimum. Yeah, it was a bioweapon. Gain of function produced it. American taxpayers paid for it. And a lot of people have died. And that part has only just begun. Says the author here, Kennedy's zealous support for free speech runs counter to the media's goal of combating disinformation by monitoring and censoring everything and anything they don't like. And all of this is an existential threat to the waste-stream media. So outlets like the WAPO, New York Times, and CNN are doing everything they can to discredit both the platform and Kennedy's candidacy. And that alone, folks, makes him a force to be reckoned with and at least paid attention to. If nothing else, it's very refreshing. Michael Snyder of the Economic Collapse blog has another new analysis piece up concerning the status of plans to make World War III go nuclear. Lou Rock will pick this one up as well. And even though he begins, most Americans just aren't paying much attention at this point. The way that the war in Ukraine is evolving should greatly concern all of us. You know, the guy, Zelensky and his generals, they very clearly understand that they're in very big trouble. Unless they can draw the U.S. and other NATO powers directly into the conflict, it's already a U.S. versus Russia proxy war. They want to make it real. All of Bakhmut is now under Russian control, and the Ukrainians continue to lose troops at literally a staggering pace. They're certainly holding a losing hand, but if Ukrainian leaders can find a way to get the Russians to use tactical nukes or maybe provoke other use of other weapons of mass destruction, that might change everything because Western powers, they think, would feel compelled to respond in kind. Although, uh, arguably, folks, that's been the plan all along. And then we would finally have the truly apocalyptic conflict on our hands that they've been jonesing for. Recently, though, it's the hype about the coming Ukrainian counteroffensive that's taken center stage. He gives some examples. Kyiv renewed its pleas for operational silence around the long-awaited counteroffensive against Russian forces with a clip of heavily armed soldiers pressing their fingers to their lips. Amidst the silence, you could hear the distant rumble of artillery and gunfire, and the, uh, well, propaganda, I think, ends with images of soaring F-16 fighter jets, long coveted by Kyiv as they seek to boost its air defense against Russian missiles and drones. But, says Michael Snyder, instead of trying to retake Bakhmut or any of the other areas of allegedly Ukrainian territory that the Russians have captured, instead, Ukraine has been focusing their attacks on Mother Russia herself. Long-range drones have been hitting targets very deep inside Russia, and on one occasion, as you probably recall, that even included the Kremlin. While Ukrainian artillery, or is it American and British artillery, has been relentlessly pounding Russian territory. And the shelling has been particularly brutal in the Belgorod region. And while shelling civilian targets in Russian territory obviously isn't going to do much of anything to help the Ukrainians regain lost Ukrainian territory, it is putting tremendous pressure on Russian leaders to respond against what is increasingly looking like what they've called an existential threat. Just imagine, says Snyder, how we'd feel if a U.S. territory was being shelled or even invaded. Oh, well, wait a minute. Unless, of course, you're talking about MAGA territory. Suppose it was New York, in other words, or Los Angeles that was being shelled. Even some of the far left among Americans would be calling on the White House to nuke the living daylights out of whoever dared to shell important 
parts of America. Well, that's exactly how millions upon millions of Russian citizens are feeling right now, he says. And what makes things even worse is that small militia groups have now begun crossing the Russian border to conduct attacks on nearby cities. The New York Times wrote on Saturday that Shabakino, a town of 40,000 just six miles from the border, has effectively become a new part of the front line as Ukraine has intensified attacks inside Russia, including on residential areas near its own borders. Unquote. And all of this is appending the lives of residents in that border region, akin to what's already happened long ago on the Ukrainian side of the border. Quote, the spate of assaults, most recently by militia groups aligned against Moscow, has sparked the largest military evacuation efforts in Russia in decades, the report underscored. Past days have witnessed area residents move into temporary shelters, including the large Belgorod Arena in the oblast capital. And the militia groups that are performing these raids are actually using equipment that has been provided by, oh yeah, are you surprised here, the U.S. and Poland. Isn't it funny, folks? American militias aren't allowed to have anything that the Obama regime wants to make sure uh, you are not allowed to keep and bear. Oops, was that a Freudian slip? The O'Biden regime, I think I meant. But if it's people that are going to go attack Russia and kick off World War III, well, Big Brother seems to have no problem giving them all kinds of weapons, things you're not allowed to possess even, fast and furiously. And paid for by your dime to boot. These latest cross-border raids, the peace continues, use at least four tactical vehicles originally given to Ukraine by the United States and Poland, said U.S. officials. Three of the four were MRAPs, folks, you know the term, raising questions about the unintended, yeah, sure, use of NATO-provided equipment and Kiev's commitments to secure materiel provided by its supporters. I guess if Mexican drug cartels can end up with RPGs right there on the southern border of the U.S., why are we surprised? We've now seen reports of at least two British troops killed in combat. Russian soldiers have claimed that they had heard some of the enemies communicating in Polish. And says Michael Snyder, this war has now reached a dangerous stage because the Russians aren't stupid. They know that foreign fighters now make up a very significant percentage of the forces they're facing. And if Russian cities continue to get shelled and raided, it's only a matter of time before Russian leaders lose their tempers. Matter of fact, folks, they've shown remarkable patience up until this point. And if Russia can be goaded into using tactical nukes, that would be the beginning of the end. So, he says, let's hope and pray that cooler heads prevail. Meanwhile, things with China continue to grow even more tense. On Saturday, a Chinese warship and an American warship almost slammed into one another in the Taiwan Strait. Footage obtained by Global News shows a People's Liberation Army or Plan Navy warship cut across the bow of a U.S. guided missile destroyer on Saturday, transiting the Taiwan Strait. And unfortunately, he concludes, both sides just continue to escalate matters, and it appears now that it's just a matter of time until someone crosses a line that'll never be able to be uncrossed. And your host can't help but think that when that happens, arguably not if, the Chinese communists pulling the Biden puppet strings will laugh as they march him and the body doubles all the way to the doomsday bunker. Why, some of Congress may even already be there.